Well, good morning to you all. Um, I'm Thomas, for those of you who might not happen to know that. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and I get the chance to preach about once a month. And as I've been doing that lately, we've been working through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, as it turns out, we're, it seems like we're usually covering about um, one chapter with every two Sundays that I preach. So we're going to get into chapter 8 today, and we'll look at the, just the first half of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. So if you have your Bible with you, you can uh, go ahead and open up there, please. If you happen to need a Bible, I think we have an usher who could get one to you. You could raise your hand, and we'll make sure we get you a Bible. So this is Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Before we read, please pray with me again. Lord, thank you very much for the opportunity that we have here to be gathered together. And I would just simply ask that you help us. Help us, Lord. Help, give us your uh, kind of a, a fresh filling of your spirit to empower us to love you this morning, to receive the love that you have for us, the love that's available to us if we'll turn to Christ. And give us a, a fresh empowerment to enjoy how you would commune with us in your word this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go out from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever pleases, or for whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has the power to retain the spirit or the power of the day of, over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, nor will, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Amen. So I think this, uh, this section of the book can be a little confusing uh, the first time you look at it, um, or the fifth time that you look at it. Uh, pretty much par for the course with the book of Ecclesiastes, actually. Um, but my, uh, that said, my best guess um, with what's going on here in this section really is that here, I think, in this section, we have, we've got, um, we've got a general principle, uh, and that is mainly, I think, this, it's, it's pressing the matter of, of using wisdom in engaging with people in authority. Using wisdom when, when we're engaging people in authority, especially when we might disagree with that person in power over us, that authority figure, whoever that might be. And um, in the, the historical context here, I think we're, we're speaking here directly to, to some sort of a formal counselor, a formal advisor uh, to the king in the, the royal court, or in, in his royal court. But again, I think in principle... Um, it really is speaking to, to all of us, really, in any circumstance we might be in where we're engaging somebody who is in authority over us and we might disagree with them. 
So that in mind, um, really for the sake of this message today, I just want to kind of walk through the passage here together. Uh, I'll make some observations as we go. I'm going to suggest some applications along the way. And then we're going to jump off, really, of the final verse, verse 9. We're going to jump off there with what what I really want us to feel, I think, as a particular point of emphasis for us today. Okay, so let's dive in. Verse 1. The questions, I think, in this verse really are rhetorical. Rhetorical questions here. And they're basically giving us kind of an introductory statement on the value of wisdom, on the nature of wisdom. So a wise man uh, is hard to find. Um, He's sort of a rare commodity, as one commentator put it. Um, And being wise, his face shines. So that, what might that mean? I think that's uh, pointing to the fact that God gives him favor. The wise person has favor with God. And so we have the the common blessing, of course, that we're uh, familiar with. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. In other words, may the Lord give you his favor. May you be favored by the Lord. The wise man's uh, wisdom, in fact, this is a gift from God, this favor that he has. This is God's gift, and it lights up his countenance, it, 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 it brightens his demeanor, it lifts his spirit, and the wise man really walks just visibly um, different than other people. Visibly greater content, excuse me, contentment uh, because of the wisdom that he's been gifted with and this favor that comes uh, with that. And one mark of wisdom is really the ability to discern the solutions to problems. It's the ability to, to give explanations uh, to things that are, that are difficult. So the wise person just doesn't know the facts. Okay? He doesn't just have knowledge of things that are true, but he, he understands those facts. And he, he understands how those facts would relate to one another. And he, and he might be able to tie those facts together and get a, a sense of what is the best, best path forward in any given situation. So I think in verse 1 we basically see this, this, just this statement on the value, the nature of wisdom in general. And then in, as we're going to move into the following few verses here, uh, the scene here I think, it has to do with exercising that wisdom. Okay, given a sense of what is good about wisdom, what is the nature of wisdom a little bit. It's exercising that wisdom now specifically in relating to those who are in authority. Um, and in the immediate context, again, it's this, I think, this royal court advisor to the king. And the writer's giving guidance here on what would be wise in engaging with the king. Um, and I'd say, again, in principle, by extension, it really could apply to any of us as we might engage really anybody who is um, uh, in authority over us, somebody who has legitimate power over our lives. So, what does that wisdom look like then in this case? Well, verse 2. Keep the king's command because, because of God's oath to him. Keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. So there's an oath here that's been made before God. Probably that refers, I think, to the oath that the advisor made um, before God. And you get that actually with the, if you're looking at an ESV translation, you can see that in the text note. I think that's probably a better way to look at it. It's probably referring to the oath that the advisor made before God. He made an oath before God in order to help the king to make good decisions, in order to help the king not make foolish decisions. And so the advisor is under this oath. And so being under oath to God, wisdom 
would honor that. Wisdom honors that oath and it keeps that oath to God by keeping the king's commands that he has vowed to do. And to keep the king's command here. Um, I would say that that's probably not meaning simply just obey the king kind of blindly, um, do what he says, period, um, don't ask any questions, that sort of thing. But rather, I think it's keeping the commands. It's guarding the commands of kings. It's keeping in mind his role as helping the king to do things that aren't foolish, to do things that are wise. And so as an advisor, as a counselor, he's got an obligation here. He's taken an oath to help the king not make foolish decisions. But you've got to be careful here. The writer's saying, careful, because verse 4 Verse 4, again, the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? And so verse 3, be not hasty to go from his presence. In other words, the writer is saying here, even if you disagree with the king, be wise, meaning, in this case, be respectful. Be respectful. You want to be heard. And so even if you disagree, be not hasty to go from his presence, meaning, in the ancient context here, be respectful. So Philip Riken, in his commentary, points out that in this, in this cultural context, back in this ancient time, a hasty departure from the throne room was really a sign of disrespect. It was a way of basically turning one's back on authority. And so the idea is not really here that there's just never a time when you can disagree uh, with the king or those who are in authority. Um, but if you do disagree, be sure to be careful in doing so. You want to be heard. You want to be heard as you're disagreeing. So be careful. Be respectful. Um, so again, don't insist on your own way um, in that disagreement. That, would, that might be a show of disrespect. That might actually be what it means here when the, the writer uh, gets to mentioning um, standing in an evil cause. Don't make your stand in an evil cause. Um, or, yeah, uh, an evil case, maybe a bad cause, a, a, an unpleasant thing. That evil cause here might essentially be your sort of blunt um, refusal to support the king. That itself might be this evil cause that the, the writer has in mind. Don't do that, the writer's saying. Don't, don't sort of go crazy, storm out of the king's uh, uh, presence, stir up a riot, burn down the palace, and so on. You want to be heard. That's not going to help you to be heard. Or, um, standing in this evil cause here might mean something a little different. It might mean that you're uh, perhaps complicit. This counselor might be complicit in the, the king's maybe wicked scheming as he might fall into that. And so the writer is saying, don't do that. Oppose him. Disagree with the king in that sense. Um, you're obligated to advise the king on how not to make foolish decisions. So oppose him. Disagree, excuse me, disagree with him. Give him counter counsel. So either way, whatever that might exactly mean with uh, taking a stand in an evil cause there, either way the scenario is that there's disagreement here with the king. And the writer is saying, I think, be wise. If you disagree with the king, don't storm off and disrespect him. So Proverbs 29, 11 Proverbs 29, 11, it says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. A wise man quietly holds it back. Don't, so don't be a fool here. 
Don't be a fool. Be wise. Don't let your temper fly. Be shrewd. Be wise in thinking through how you might give your counter counsel at a time and in a way where it would actually be heard by the king, where you wouldn't just sort of be rejected and disregarded outright. And with verse 5, the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. And how? How to do that in this case? What might wisdom look like here? Well, the writer gives us, I think, a little bit of a a hint at that, um, gives us some light on that in chapter 10. So chapter 10, verse 4. Chapter 10, verse 4 says, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. Sounds familiar, right? Uh, Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not leave your place. For calmness, he says, will lay great offenses to rest. So don't be hasty, be calm. If you disagree, don't be hasty, be calm. Or Proverbs 25, verse 15. Proverbs 25, verse 15. says, with patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. So the principle here for us, I think, slamming into the 21st century here, principle for us here in this, I think, it's that if you disagree with an authority, whoever he might be, really with anyone, um, if you disagree with anyone really, but specifically uh, an authority, someone who has legitimate power over you, don't give full vent to your frustration or your anger. Be wise. Meaning, in this case, be calm. Be patient. Be shrewd about raising your objection at the best time in order to be heard. Because you do want to be heard, right? Um, you can think of maybe a, a, some one of these... Uh, soundproof rooms if you're like in a recording studio don't have a lot of experience in them but man if you give you disagree and you give full vent to your anger in 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 impatience you're essentially encasing yourself in a soundproof room and you will not be heard the ruler the authority the power over you won't hear you he'll disregard you outright wisdom is patient wisdom is calm it's under control it's strategic and again, I think that's, it, it, it's a principle that extends really today to any engagement with those in authority. And again, really beyond that, just simply engaging with anyone with whom you disagree. You disagree with your boss. Um, you disagree with a police officer who pulls you over. You disagree with your spouse. You disagree with your life group leader. You disagree with somebody else in the life group. You disagree with somebody just in the church family at large. Be calm. Be patient. Be respectful. And really the wise action here, it's just, it's just part of basic good communication skills at one level. It's just part of basic uh, conflict resolution skills, you might say. Uh, we all mostly probably understand this, I think. We've heard, heard it said, I'm sure. It's not always what you say, but maybe how you say it. It's not always what you say, but how you say it. Say what you got to say. We want to be, be authentic. We want to we be frank. We want to be honest. Say what you got to say, but say it respectfully. Say it calmly. Say it patiently. Again, Ecclesiastes 10.4, calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Or Proverbs 25 again, patience with a ruler may be, uh, or with patience a ruler may be persuaded. Or Proverbs 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. So be respectful. Be calm. Be patient. One of my favorite uh, pieces of advice to couples uh, in premarriage counseling 
uh, one, one rule of communication, I would say, and that is that, that you act and don't react. Act, don't react. In other words, don't, don't react when you disagree with, with sort of bitterness and anger and, and frustration and, 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 and so on along those lines, bad stuff, but rather act, proactively act with kindness in your speech, gentleness, grace, patience, and so on. Act proactively, give these good things in your speech rather than reacting. Um, and, and really, if, if, at, if just one person in the couple is acting, you will curb really any blowout arguments. It, 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 real messy arguments come when both people are reacting. Then you have, then you have blowouts. But as long as one person is acting, proactively giving these good things, as long as one person is, is acting, then there might be disagreement still. There still might be tension, but there's going to be an environment set where you can have some real constructive discussion. So be respectful, be calm, be patient, act, don't react in impatience, anger, disrespect. Don't storm out of the room, riot, burn down the palace. You get, you get the drift, okay? So this is, this is what wise action is going to look like. Um, but back into the, the, the ancient world here, um, that's not always going to be easy. So yes, with verses 5 and 6, there, there is a proper time and there is a just way. Uh, there is a, a time and a way for everything. But even so, the writer says, there's trouble that lies heavy on us. E- even in that, the writer says. So, so it won't necessarily be easy to do this. And that trouble, what's he talking about? Talking about? Likely, I would say, he's, it's verse 7. That's the trouble. Verse 7 again. He does not know what, it, what, what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? In other words, he doesn't know the future. He, he doesn't know the future. So any, any counter-counsel that he's going to give to the king or anybody, any other powers over him, and we could say for us, over us, it's going to come with a risk. Because we don't know how, what they're going to say or do. We don't know how they're going to respond. Are they going to fly off the handle and, and give full vent to their spirit? Um, or are they going to be wise? Are they going to be calm? Are they going to be patient? Are they going to be respectful? Are, are, are they going to actually hear, in doing, doing that, actually hear what we're trying to say or what this advisor is trying to say? Uh, we just simply don't know the future of that conversation. So there's going to be risk. We don't know if the ruler is going to act or react. And we, we hope he acts because in this case, if he reacts, you're going to lose your head in, in, this, uh, in this ancient world context. The, the, the king's word is supreme. He can do what he wants. And then into verse 8, the writer goes on essentially there, I think, to further enumerate uh, other ways in which uh, he and really all of us are just limited. So um, we can't know the future. That's verse 7. And then in verse 8, we're reminded that we don't have power to control the spirit. We don't have power to control the day of uh, death. There's, there's no power in wickedness to deliver the one given to it. So we might be tempted when the pressure's on. There's disagreement. We want our way. We might be tempted to give ourselves to wickedness. The, the writer is saying, no, there's no power in that wickedness to actually deliver you, to actually get you what you want. So there's all sorts of limitations that, that bear on us. And for the counselor here, in, in wisely engaging with the king, 
He can't know the outcome ahead of time, and so there's always going to be a risk. Um, But, just as he is limited, the advisor here, so is the king. Because these limitations apply to all of us. And so any power or authority figure, uh, any legitimate power over uh, the advisor here or over, over us with whom we might engage in our lives day to day, they have the same limitations, okay? Th- they also don't have power over death. They don't know what's coming in the next conversation or the next day and so on. They're limited too. And so I think we can take some courage here in that. Um, so after all, the king here or any powerful figure, he's just a man. Might be a really powerful man, but he's just a man. He's just a finite, limited man. And so he's also limited in every way that we are. And so I think that should foster some courage in us, I think, to, to, to speak the truth wisely with those um, uh, with whom we might disagree. Speak the truth, but do it wisely. Be calm, be patient, do it with respect. But, st- but do speak the truth. Take courage. In other words, don't be sort of bullied into silence. Don't be intimidated into silence by this, this, this person in power over you. Not even the supreme king can, can uh, again, know what tomorrow holds. So he's, he's, he's every bit as limited. And, uh, and any wickedness he might give himself to, well, ultimately that will be judged. So don't be bullied into silence. And I think probably... Um, the mention of wickedness there in, in verse 8, I would say that starts to move us now to really, really toward a particular point of emphasis that I, that I want us to feel today, okay? So you look at verse 9 again. Verse 9, all this I observed, the writer says, while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Now given verse 9 there, Um, It may be that the king that is in mind here in these previous verses did at times, or maybe even often, essentially abuse his power. So the writer here, um, he, he could be referring specifically to this king, could also have in mind other people or other circumstances that he has actually mentioned earlier um, in the book. For example, chapter 3, verse 16, he spoke of wickedness, being in the place of justice there, probably referring to law courts where there's supposed to be justice, there's wickedness. Um, or in chapter 4, verse 1, he mentions the oppressed and, 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 and them having no one to comfort them. And then he says, on the side of, the, of their oppressors, there was power. Or at chapter 5, verse 8, he, he points to the oppression of the poor by various levels of governing officials. So, and then, and now here again in, in verse 9, man had power over man to his hurt. So whatever the specific person or, or circumstance that he's got in mind here, um, he, he broaches a subject now that I think is important for us to take note of today. And that is this issue of the abuse of power. The abuse of power. I mean, just consider the, 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 the world we're living in right now. Consider the many headlines on, on, on nightly news and in the newspapers and all over Facebook and, and other media outlets. All, all, so much conversation about the abuse of power. Often it's, it's talking about the abuse of police power 
or the, belus, the, the, the abuse of, uh, of the criminal justice system in general or law courts. Lots of tension in that regard, especially related to the abuse of power that might be motivated by, by racism or, or uh, a racial animus. Or on a more private plane, just a more private level, maybe consider spousal abuse or consider child abuse. Or, or a boss, maybe, maybe a boss who's abusing his position. Maybe a school bully, or a, or a workplace bully, or a neighborhood bully, for that matter. So some of you, maybe here in this room, you've got personal experience with some form of, of, of being confronted by the abuse of power. Maybe you know people outside of this room for whom that's their experience. Or, or just can, again, just considering the many, the many headlines. J- just this la- last week, this uproar in, in Milwaukee, for example. Um, another black man shot by a police officer and killed, and the city's in flames. Riots, stores on fire, gas stations on fire. Um, and I would just say there's plenty of, of fog in the air here to sort of cloud judgment as it might be related to some of these uh, more hot-button cultural issues. But man having power over man to his hurt. That is a real issue. It's a real issue. Abuse of power, it's a real thing, um, and uh, many have experienced it, many are experiencing it. And I guess what comes to mind for me in, in light of that, it's, it's just a question, what is the church to do? You know, what, what, how should the people of God respond to that? Is there any guidance that we have uh, on that question? And thankfully, I think we do have some. Um, Not the only answer. uh, Not the only answer here by a long shot, I would think. But here's one answer. And really, I would say, let this this land on you as the point of emphasis, really, for the message that that you take home with you. Uh, It's not the only answer, but it's one answer. And And that's this. There's an alternative. There's an alternative. When you read the headlines, uh, you see the videos, every news cycle, we've got another video, it seems, coming out, um, where we see the abuse of power in some way, shape, or form, or at least the accusation of it, so it should at least call the subject to mind and as something to think about, because we know even in any given situation where there might be accusation, it might not be true, but we know it is happening somewhere. So it's a real thing. Well, there's an alternative. Namely, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The community of the people of God. It's the church. It's the Jesus community. So, while it might be that way out there, not in here. Might be that way out there, 
Jesus would say, not so among you. Not in here, not in my family, Jesus would say. Not among my people. Now, so this is like a, a parent going to a child uh, and, and saying to a, a child who might do something bad or wrong and saying, we don't do that in our family. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen in the family. It just happened. It happens. But it shouldn't happen. It ought not happen. And we've got to fight like crazy to be intolerant of it happening. It might happen in another family. It doesn't happen in this family. That's, that's, that's kind of the, the attitude here. Jesus says, not so among you. Against those in power to hurt, to the hurt of others. Against the power of a, of a husband or a parent. Against the, the, the abuse of power. Um, abuse by a husband, abuse by a parent, abuse by a police officer, uh, officer, abuse by a government agent, whatever it might be, whoever. Jesus says this, Matthew 20. Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus called his disciples to him. And he said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over you. And their great ones exercise great authority over them. It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you, Jesus said. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, Jesus said. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, even as Jesus himself came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus our Lord. And so there might be abuse of power out there, outside my people, but I'm not having that here, Jesus says. Not among my people. In the church, the kingdom of God community, we march to the beat of a different drum. We don't do that in our family. Authority in Jesus, in the Jesus community, it's a service for the good of others. Authority sacrifices for the sake of building others up. And of course, this is precisely what Jesus did for us. Jesus is God. And, and Jesus became man. And he came to die in order that, among other things, in order to save a people for himself who will live together with him as king forever. This is his mission. This is who he is. And this is why he came. And, and, and the church is a community who, whose ultimate authority is Jesus. It's a, it's a community whose leaders have only delegated authority from Jesus. And, 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 and it's a community who are, who, who's accountable or, or has leaders who are accountable to an objective standard of right and wrong, an objective standard of justice and injustice or good or, 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 or evil and so on. And Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus, in other words, he says, he, he invites us all into this community. He offers an alternative community over against the society at large. I mean, this is what Jesus came to do. He came to open up a different community to, to any who would trust him for the forgiveness of their sins, to anybody who would submit to him as their supreme authority. He came to offer the kingdom of God to anybody who would receive him. So, so welcome. 
I mean, turn away from your sins. Believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Submit to Jesus as your supreme authority and let him empower you to align with his agenda. Welcome. This is what Jesus came to do and say. This is what he's given to us, to the church, to do and say. Welcome. Here is an alternative community. Welcome. Frankly, I don't know exactly what Jesus followers should exactly do or how we should exactly be involved with trying to right the wrongs in our culture at large. I honestly don't know exactly. But one thing I do know for sure, I do know that at the very least, at the very least, those wrongs out there, not so among you. Not so among you. In other words, at the very least... We open wide ourselves as a gospel community. We open wide to anybody who will submit to Jesus. Come, be part of us. Be part of our family. This is, this is an alternative community to the so often unjust society at large. And we're especially open to the margins. We're especially open to those who are in fact victims of abusive power. Again, this is what Jesus came to do. He came to open the kingdom of God to people from all groups. He went specifically to the margins because they were shut out. The people in power said, you can't be a part of the kingdom. Jesus said, baloney. I'm the king of the kingdom of God, and I say who's welcome. And so he goes to the margins. The kingdom of God is open to all groups. And the Jesus community is one, is one diverse enough to, to welcome such extremes as Jesus did. I think we've, we've given this example from the pulpit before. It's such a great example, I think. You, you think of a tax collector. You think of diversity here. A tax collector on the one hand. Basically a Jewish traitor. Essentially working for the oppressive Roman government. On the one hand. And on the other hand, you have a, a zealot. You have this, this person who's just uh, crazy about loathing the Romans loathing the oppressive government and working to overthrow them. And the Jesus community is one to, 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 to both extremes. These both extremes are welcome, just as welcomed Jesus welcomed them into his initial 12 apostles. Come, Matthew the tax collector, Jesus said. Come, Simon the zealot, Jesus said. Receive me as your savior. Receive me as your master. Come be part of an alternate nation, so to speak. Come be part of an alternate race, so to speak. Out there, um, I know you hate each other, but welcome to be a part of this. Out there, you can hate each other. Out there, maybe it's expected that you hate each other. Out there, maybe it's understandable that you hate each other, but not so among my people, Jesus says. by, By the way, this is why life together on mission is so important the way we talk about it in in our church. It's not just life on mission, but it's life together on mission. So life, our life in our church, in the the Jesus community, we could say, our, our life seen together confronts those outside of our community with an alternate possibility because of Jesus. So so our evangelism, our evangelism, our evangelism doesn't just declare the truth 
and the truth of the gospel especially, but it also demonstrates the power, it also demonstrates the product of that truth believed. This is the product of believing that gospel truth, this alternate community. And that community is a means by which Jesus is a refuge from injustice outside in the society at large. That community is, that is created by the gospel is a means by which Jesus himself is a refuge from injustice outside in the society at large. You know, as Christians, we only have so much influence in uh, the broader American culture. And man, it's waning fast. But within our church culture, within our own church culture, under the supreme power of, of Jesus, we can be different. We can be different. And we can offer this community in which, in which justice and peace reign under Jesus' leadership. Jesus opens that, again, to anybody who will receive it. He offers himself and the community that he leads. He offers himself and the community that he leads. And he says, look, all that abusive power that you see out there around you see all that, that man having power over man to his hurt stuff out there? You see that? Not in here. Not in here. Not among my people under me as king. Under me as king, in my kingdom, among my people, in my church, here's a community of people whom I've charged to welcome one another as I've welcomed them. To love one another as I've loved them. To forgive one another as I have forgiven them. To outdo showing honor to one another, to, to be hospitable to one another, to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, to show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the community life of those who belong to me, Jesus says, of those subject to me as king in the kingdom of God. That's the community life. This king, this king, uh, um, this King Jesus, he came to serve rather than to be served. Jesus came to serve rather than to be served as our King. He lays himself down. As our King, he lays himself down in order to raise us up, to build us up, to grow us, to make us to flourish. And he raises us up again. He raises us up to, 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 to be this community that, that blooms with nothing less than the fruit of the Spirit. To bloom. With the, the fruit of the Spirit. And really, that is my prayer for, for our church body. That we would bloom with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Especially in light of, again, these, these hot-button social, cultural issues that are everywhere we turn now as far as various media outlets. May the fruit of the Spirit dominate the landscape of our life together in this church. in our marriages, in our life groups, in our whole church family. May the fruit of the Spirit dominate the landscape of our life together as a church. May, may, may it be that for a person who would step in from the outside into our community, may it be like they would be, be stepping into, into a sort of an arboretum of, of different fruit trees. And, and, and they could, they, they, it'd be like stepping in, they could step into us and they would find trees bearing fruit of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, 
self-control. Out there, outside the Jesus community, no guarantees. No guarantees. But in here, luscious fruit of the Holy Spirit. As we're filled with the Spirit through our union with Jesus by faith. What a community to offer. What, what, a, what an alternative to put on display, to offer to people who are often afflicted as man has power over man to his hurt. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, the writer says. When man had power over man to his hurt, and Jesus says, not so among you. Not in the kingdom of God, under me as its king. Some experience racial animus every week. Others feel the brunt of other forms of hurt from people in power. There's probably more to the answer of how the church should, excuse me, should help uh, to right the wrongs of society at large. But at the very least, at the very least, Let's be this Holy Spirit fruit-bearing community for one another by His grace and power. And let's offer ourselves on mission to those outside of this community by His power and His grace. We have been welcomed in Jesus into communion with God and with one another as His people. Let's extend that welcome to others as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for... A chance, at the very least, to be reminded of the very real fact that there are um, people who have authority in the world. There are people who exercise power over others, and often they do that to hurt others. And we're sobered by that, and we find hope that you, King Jesus, your word is actually the word that is supreme. You actually are the perfect king who actually does all that he pleases and you do what you do. You do pleasing to do what you do for our good, for our building up, uh, for the forgiveness of our sins and, and for favor with God and in and, and a place with a community of your people where there's intimacy and there's acceptance and there's hope. Uh, and, we, and we do hope this morning um, for that ultimate future uh, when we will be raised up from the dead, and we will have that world that we all want. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.